0: You're listening to Bose Podcast, the official podcast of Bose Cavern, Ottawa's premier upscale drinking society. Now, here are your hosts, Matt and Taylor.
1: Good diddly day, mates. You're listening to Bose Podcast, the best Don Simpson's lame podcast from down under. Okay, well, we're not actually in Australia. We're in Canada, which instead of down under would make us what? I guess up over. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know geography. And while we're just a bunch of Canucks here instead of Aussies, hey, Poe Buddies in effect, right? We are going to be talking about Australia today here on Beau's Podcast, the official podcast of Beau's Cavern, Ottawa's premier upscale drinking society. We're going on Walkabout today through the classic episode from 1995, Bart versus Australia. So I'm your very non-Australian host, Matt LaFrance. I'm here with my equally non-Australian co-host, the unwavering, the unfaltering, Taylor Mitchell. Hey, Taylor.
0: Hi, diddley Bo, everyone.
1: So are you looking forward to talking about Bart versus Australia tonight?
0: Absolutely, it's a great episode. I was I really enjoyed rewatching it. Um, you know, not that it not that I haven't seen it a million times, but I've been I've been watching a lot of Simpsons lately, and this one always sta- is a standout for me.
1: Yeah, it's a standout for me too. It's one of my favorites, so I'm looking forward to our discussion tonight. And we're also here with our producer, our in house musician, and our good friend Kevin Valentine. Hey, Kevin. Good day. How's it going? <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. Only I may say good day.
2: Oh, okay. We'll <laughs> leave it up to you then.
0: And only Matt may dance. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just like Conan O'Brien. So we're going to dive into the episode Bart vs. Australia tonight. That's episode 16 of season 6. Uh, first aired February 19th, 1995, so 27 years ago. Directed by Wes Archer and written by Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein. It's probably one of the greatest writing teams in Simpsons history. Uh, the episode probably makes most Simpsons fans list of favorite episodes.
0: Is this the first, like, Simpson family vacation? I know that Bart went to France, but I, I think this might be the first vacation that the whole family went on. If I'm not mistaken.
2: Uh, yeah, international.
1: Okay. Yes, they, mm. they did have Bart when he was part of that foreign exchange program. He was in France. But I think this is the first time that The Simpsons as a family went anywhere. When I think of The Simpsons in international travel, the one that always comes to my mind is when they go to Japan in the 30 yeah. minutes over Tokyo in season 10 there. <laughs> I can certainly understand how the Aussies feel about their portrayal in the show. I mean, The Simpsons did come to Canada recently in season 30's Do Canada.
2: That's one of the... I mean, even <laughs> before that, they did.
0: they came here
2: here to get prescription drugs oh sorry
0: that's true that's true and Flanders met his Canadian equivalent
2: that's right
0: um I actually so the the episode where the Simpsons visit Canada was actually one of the probably the the few of a a handful of episodes that I've watched uh, of the Simpsons kind of past the the golden era or a few years after the golden era and uh I enjoyed a lot of the in-jokes in that one especially that Lisa was attending Alanis Morissette Elementary school. Oh. (laughs) a shout out to a canadian icon
2: to to, uh, an ottawa an
1: ottawa Ottawa icon that school should actually be in ottawa
0: i remember reading somewhere that um anytime the simpsons visited a new country it always made citizens of that country angry and they always uh they always stepped up the the hate mail so fox
1: did receive about a hundred Angry letters from Australians upset with their portrayal in this episode. And according to Mike Reese in an interview, although he wasn't able to confirm this, the Simpsons were condemned officially in the House of Parliament in Australia. Now, as I understand the biggest complaint, uh, other than how they were depicted as essentially drunken bogans, uh, was that uh, the accents were wrong. They sounded uh, more South African than Australian.
0: I actually I actually believe that I had a South African friend in high school and it it's not far off.
1: And, and, you know, I only contributed to this problem with my terrible Australian accent to the beginning of this podcast. <laughs> well,
2: uh, I think we've lost all our Australian listeners, if we have any. <laughs> uh,
1: but they do seem to hit every single obvious Australian cultural stereotype in this episode, or, or rather every American stereotype of Australia. You know, kangaroos, boomerangs, Foster's beer. So as a standard operating procedure here at Bose Podcast, well, I think everyone should know the drill by now, we have a drink and then we talk about the episode. So our resident mixologist, Adam, he's unavailable tonight, uh, so I'll be filling in for him. I'm going to go a little rogue here. Going a little rogue. Uh, I may have gone a little mad with power, like uh, that Albert Schweitzer (laughs) fellow. But I'm going to go off book here with an original recipe. Uh, It's not an official Bose Cavern drink. Uh, This doesn't come directly from the episode, but it's uh, certainly inspired by it. So first, we'll start off with a quick synopsis of the episode. Bart and Lisa are having a race of bathroom products, shampoo versus toothpaste, which Lisa wins because, as she explains, all water drains counterclockwise in the Northern Hemisphere. Wanting to prove her wrong, Bart calls various countries in the Southern Hemisphere to see which direction the water in their drains flows, including a $900 collect call to Australia, which results in Bart being indicted for fraud. The U.S. State Department flies the Simpsons family to Australia, so Bart can formally apologize, although the apology comes with a booting which does not go over well. Uh, Simpsons flee, upsetting the Australians further and causing an even bigger international incident, which we never hear about in the show ever again. So you'll yeah, recall the scene in the pub where Homer's ordering the giant fosters.
0: Well, it's, it's, it's pretty big, but... Yeah.
1: <laughs> Quick aside while we're talking about the pub in Australia, there's always an ongoing sight gag where Maggie just falls down. Yes. Yes. So they actually had where she fell up onto the bar counter, oh, I never, I never and noticed. I guess that's because you know they're at the opposite end of the earth there. So oh,
2: I love that. I, never I love that.
0: that. I never, I never noticed that either. I gotta but go I, back I, and watch it. I love Maggie moments. I, I find them to be underrated, so yeah. I appreciate that.
1: Okay, so back to the drink. So Homer orders the giant beer. Then Marge tries to order coffee, but the bartender thinks she wants beer.
2: Coffee. Bay.
1: Yep, that's it, exactly. Well, I'm going to propose a solution to this dilemma. I'm going to split the difference right down the middle, and we're going to make a cocktail that is half coffee and half beer. Beautiful. Now, for this recipe, you're going to need coffee and beer. Big surprise, (laughs) right? Very creative. But not just any coffee nor any beer. For this, you'll need iced coffee and a dark beer. Now, for the coffee, you can brew a cup normally and just let that cool. But I recommend using cold brew. It's less acidic, and less bitter, and has a smoother taste than hot coffee. Although hot brew is obviously quicker to make. Use coarsely grounded coffee, filtered water. Now I have a carafe with an infuser that I use for this. Uh, let the coffee chill for at least 12 hours, uh, so that it properly infuses. Now for the beer, I recommend a porter, although you could use a stout if that's what you prefer. Now the difference comes down to the type of barley. Uh, a porter uses a dark malted barley whereas a stout uses an unmalted roasted barley or a black malt. So porters tend to be sweeter, they have less of a, a burnt roasted taste, and you get more of those underlying flavors like chocolate or caramel, which pairs nicely with the coffee. So that's why I recommend a porter. So you mix the two in equal proportions. Now I personally drink my coffee black, but uh, we can always add a little splash of cream here. You know, oh, Or if you want, you could throw in a little Bailey's because... Hey, more alcohol, right? Right on. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: it's that, that's, that's something almost akin to, um, to the Irish car bomb, you know, like the shot of Baileys dropped in a pint of Guinness.
1: Yeah, a bit like that. Although, as I recall, an Irish car bomb, uh, the shot is half Baileys and half whiskey. Uh, so, you know, if you really feel adventurous here, uh, you could always add a shot of whiskey to this drink, too.
0: Now we're getting crazy. So now we're talking.
1: <laughs> because, again, more alcohol, right? <laughs> Why not? And then you mix everything together with a knife.
0: Uh, for our listeners' reference, Matt is holding up a spoon right
2: now. Yes, yeah, so see that's not a
1: knife. I see you played knifey-spoony before. <laughs> so finally, instead of adding ice to this to keep it chill, I recommend that you fill an ice cube tray with iced coffee, and then you can add that. So uh, as the ice melts while you're drinking, your your drink won't become diluted with water. Right on. And there you have it, a nice, refreshing coffee beer cocktail, perfect for a hot summer day. I mean, it's not summer here in Canada but it is in Australia right now
0: I was actually gonna say um, it's almost perfect for a winter day because you know really I think that those dark beers your stouts and your porters really are ideal for winter just something about the flavors I think suit colder weather better
1: yeah I prefer a lighter beer during the summer like a, a pilsner or a lager um, a dark beer maybe like a Guinness during the winter
0: yeah I'm the same way
1: so if you're like me and you're tired of this lousy Smarch weather, it feels like more of a summer cocktail. And you can try and pretend for a moment that it's summer and picture yourself in Australia. But yeah, I guess it's really a drink for all seasons.
2: That's beautiful. i say so. Yeah, I agree.
1: I agree. Depending on which hemisphere you happen to be in.
0: Depending yes. on which direction the water in your toilet flows.
1: And actually, that's a great segue into our discussion, because I'd like to start off with that, uh, as that's one of my beefs with this episode, even though I said it's one of my favorites. So the entire episode hinges on Lisa's explanation of why water flows down the drain in one particular direction, saying it's due to the Coriolis effect. That the direction it drains in is dependent upon which hemisphere you're located in, uh, which is completely wrong. Lisa was wrong. Yes, Lisa was wrong. And uh, because of this episode, here we are nearly 30 years later, and this myth uh, persists.
0: So I, I'm not a science kid at all whatsoever, which I, I'm, I'm somewhat embarrassed to admit. So I always learn the Coriolis effect as the reason why if you roll a marble or something like that, it'll roll in a curve and not a straight line. So my question <laughs> is, um, does water flow in the same direction in the Northern Hemisphere versus the Southern Hemisphere? Is that, is that the, the issue here? Or is the issue that there is a difference in the direction that it flows? And that's just not because of the Coriolis effect.
1: So Lisa is partially right, and the marble example you just gave is a good analogy. So the Coriolis effect refers to the inertial force that acts on an object in motion within a frame of reference that is also in motion. So it refers to the pattern of deflection. In this case, the earth spins on its axis. The direction of the spin is different between the northern and southern hemisphere. That inertial force will affect the direction of an object in motion, but it only applies over large distances, affecting weather patterns, whirlpools, but it does not affect the direction of water flow in a drainer pipe. With a toilet... The direction of the water flow was due to the direction of the jets inside the toilet bowl. Yeah.
0: Okay. So
1: Which means that if you had the exact same model of toilet in either the northern or the southern hemisphere, the water would flow in the exact same direction.
0: I have a yeah. sudden urge to go flush my toilet and see what happens. But <laughs> I'll I'll resist that urge for now.
1: A little disappointing that Lisa was wrong. <laughs>
0: Stupid Lisa Science Queen. Always uh-huh. distress always distressing when our role <laughs> model lets
2: us down like that. So Bart was was actually right in a way, because he says the water does what it wants, like me, babe.
1: (laughs) I don't think the water quite does what it wants. No, it's what the
2: jets want, I guess. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> chats and like you know all, all sorts of things like if, if, if there's a tilt in your floor yeah. right like if it's not perfectly level but but it has nothing to do with the coriolis effect so you know this entire episode
2: based on a lie
1: <laughs> yep that would nah. expl-
2: that would mean that the u.s embassy spent all that money on a toilet they didn't need to do
0: and if the episode were set in 2020 or later um lisa would be spouting some nonsense about the coriolis effect that she learned on social media
2: that's right yes one thing i always like is uh when homer sings what he's doing and at the start of the episode, like when Bart's flushing the toilet all the time, see which way it goes, you have Homer in the next bathroom going, singing, he's like, I'm a singing in the shower. Oh, God. And he gets <laughs> like hot water on him. But I always love that when Homer just sings what he's doing.
0: <laughs> I related way too much to that shower scene with Homer because um, my water in my building is just so unreliable and constantly switching from too hot to too cold and back and forth there is no such thing as a temperate shower in my apartment and um yes the struggle is very real homer i feel you (laughs) i think my favorite is uh when bart starts calling all of these countries and you see what's on the other side like the elderly adolf hitler in buenos Aires. yeah yeah (laughs) Um, I like, I, just, I thought that was well done.
1: When Bart was dialing all these countries, he grabs the phone and it's just like, it, there's all these numbers he's dialing. The, the dial tone was actually the theme to National Geographic.
0: <laughs> That's clever. That's I didn't know that one. <laughs> this aired in
1: 1995. So Hitler would have been 105 years old. <laughs> so yeah.
0: pretty agile for 105
1: years old. Yeah. yeah. Part where the guy goes by on the bicycle. Buenos noches mein Fuhrer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because
0: that's there's always been um, that's always been a conspiracy theory, right? That Hitler faked his own suicide and escaped to Argentina. Argentina.
1: Well, the Nazis, the Nazis did have the rat lines, which you know were their escape lines from Europe to well, there, South America. Yes, there, to, there and, is and actually some truth.
2: Yeah, there is some truth that like there was uh, Nazis that went to Argentina or at least in South America, but like Argentina as well.
1: Argentina was very or, big for it. Yeah. Yeah, it
2: was. I think it was. Yeah, a lot. Of
1: it's not the only time The Simpsons has speculated about Hitler. I, I thought his head ended up in a jar at the Duff Brewery. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that happened sometime after 1995.
1: But that was from an earlier episode, season four's Duffless, uh, so two years earlier. So there's a glaring inconsistency there.
0: But I like to go with a wizard did it.
1: Yeah, I guess a wizard did it. Then we have Bart's Call to Australia, that International Drainage Commission. <laughs> I still love that.
0: The International Drainage Commission. It was an remember. emergency.
1: <laughs> now you've lost our Australian audience too with that accent. <laughs> the whole. Sorry, Australia. Know, uh, 900 dollar redos. <laughs> so there was actually a petition on change.org to have Australia change the name of their currency to the dollar redo. And it, it, as of uh, now, it has 70,000 signatures. <laughs>
0: And there's even a design for the bill, um, which I remember our mixologist Adam used in one of his drinks. I can't remember which one it was, but I ended up with one of them and I put it on the wall of my office as a conversation piece. And uh, back when working in an office was a thing, people always seemed to appreciate it. It had a picture of uh, Tobias's father looking frustrated.
1: So certainly quite a lot of quotable moments in this episode. I think of the globe and Lisa saying how in Rand McNally people wear hats on their feet and hamburgers eat people.
2: (laughs) Oh yeah, definitely, definitely heard the quote um, "knifey spoony" before.
1: (laughs) Yep, knifey spoony, classic. So one quote that really stands out is when Bart says, I think I hear a dingo eating your baby. At the time, I had no idea about the context behind this. It's
0: a really sad story. It, it
1: is. It's a terrible story. So back in 1980, baby Azaria Chamberlain, uh, her family out camping at Ayers Rock. She's taken during the night by a pack of dingoes. Uh, and then the mother, Lindy Chamberlain Crichton.
0: Who was later portrayed by Meryl Streep.
1: Yes. This this was made into a movie. Evil Angels, uh, based on the book about this, uh, released as Cry in the Dark outside Australia and New Zealand, uh, and she was nominated for an academy award for best actress Uh, apparently there were several books tv movies miniseries it's even an opera made about this yet at the time i never knew anything about this so she was tried and convicted two years later pardoned in 1986 after the child's jacket was found near a dingo lair Uh, The fact that this was such a tragedy, but then later was made light of in American media, because I I can remember this reference being made in Seinfeld. And then, I don't know, if you watched uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I was just
0: going to say that. It was the name of um, Oz's band.
1: So, I don't know. I I didn't think much of this at the time. It was just like a funny line. But knowing the backstory behind it, it it's kind of cringe.
0: The one that I always pull out is uh, when Elisa looks at the sign, uh, the the theater marquee. And she goes, I know all those words, but that sign makes no sense. So any, anytime I get a text that's kind of jumbled or, or something like that, I always write back, I know all those words, but that makes no sense.
1: Uh, so that was what, uh, Yahoo Serious Festival from the slideshow, right?
0: Yes, it was.
1: Uh, we should go through that slideshow since it highlights so many Australian stereotypes or little bits of Australian pop culture before The Simpsons even go to Australia. So Yahoo Serious... Real name, uh, Greg Gomez Pede, Australian actor and director, probably most famous for his 1988 film Young Einstein, uh, which, while popular in Australia, was a box office bomb in the U.S. It was a re-imaging of Albert Einstein. If he were an Australian, uh, he splits the atom using a hammer and a chisel, uh, and he uses this fission process, E equals MC square, to add bubbles to beer, because otherwise, without this, the beer is flat. Uh, so this is the premise of the movie. Have you ever seen it? No.
0: No, but I think I will now. I was going (laughs) to
2: say. Sounds like a worthwhile pursuit.
1: I watched this when I was a kid. It was stupid, but funny.
2: So Matt, you said uh, you found it really funny, but was it meant to be a comedy?
1: No, it was actually a documentary. (laughs) No, so this was a movie that Yahoo Sirius, who co-wrote, produced, directed, and starred in. But yes, unfortunately, it uh, did not uh, catch on in the United States, although I think it's gained a bit of a cult following.
0: So Yahoo Sirius was a person. It's yep. a, st- a stage name I'm assuming hmm, right on
1: but I think he only made like three movies so it would be a very short festival
0: yeah I was gonna say no wonder the no wonder it was considered a failure
1: now the slideshow overall America's brief love affair with Australia which had a lot of great gags in it uh there was yes the yahoo series film festival and and that is a great quote It was made even better with guest star Phil Hartman as Evan Conover from the U.S. State Department, Undersecretary for International Protocol, the Brat and Punk Division.
0: Phil Hartman makes every episode that he's in better. And of course, we all have love for Lionel Hutz, Trey McClure, but I love a lot of these one off characters as well. Evan Conover's one, and another great one is Lyle Lanley. He just makes the yeah. episodes, in my opinion.
1: I mean, we could do a whole episode based on Phil Hartman just because he did voice so many great characters and he brought such a spin to each of them. Yes, Lyle Lanley. I mean, we could do a whole episode what? about the monorail. Also, that- that feels,
0: that feels somewhat um, relevant to our lives here in Ottawa.
1: I assume you're referring to the light rail.
0: Sure and, am. Our, and, our light rail that sometimes doesn't run in cold weather.
1: Well, it's not like winter's a thing in Ottawa, right? So
0: no. If if <laughs> it might be a different story if Ottawa were not one of the coldest capital cities in the world.
1: So back to the slideshow. We have Paul Hogan, an Australian actor, famous for the Crocodile Dundee films. Have you ever seen any of them?
0: I don't think I have ever seen Crocodile Dundee. Oh, I don't oh think I've actually seen
2: it either.
1: So did the whole knifey-spoony thing just go over your heads then? or?
0: I knew it was a reference to that, yeah. but I've never actually seen the movie.
1: Okay. So he's in New York. Mugger pulls a switchblade on him and says, hand over your wallet. Dundee just looks at him, says the line, you call that a knife? This is a knife. And he pulls out a machete and he slashes the Mugger's jacket and then he just runs away. Oh, okay. Okay. So you guys, there's also a reference to a bidet. Which we yes, see we, that's we, a... we, we oh. do know
0: what a bidet is.
2: Well, yes, yes.
1: You know what a bidet <laughs> is? <laughs> The reason he mentions the bidet is because there's a reference to bidet in Crocodile Dundee and that's what they're playing off of.
0: Oh, okay. I just thought it was funny. (laughs) Yeah, same.
1: Hogan also popularized the expression shrimp on the barbie with a series of Australian tourism ads in the 80s. Oh, interesting. As well, he was the spokesperson for Foster's beer. Oh, okay. And on that topic about Foster's, probably the most glaring inaccuracy with our whole depiction of uh, Australians in this episode, everyone is drinking Foster's. It's everywhere in the episode. Uh, but the reality is that hardly anyone in Australia drinks Foster's. It's just not a popular beer there, uh, despite the claims that it's uh, Australian for beer. That's uh, disappointing.
2: Well, that ruins it, the whole episode. <laughs> yeah.
0: I can, I'll never look at it the same way.
1: Uh, probably the most popular beer there is Victoria Bitter, followed by Carlton Draft. And they're all made by the Carlton and United Breweries. The Foster's beer was actually created by two brothers from New York who what? immigrated to Australia. Foster's is brewed many places in the world. Heineken International brews it in Europe. Oh, okay. Hmm. Uh, it's, Foster's is actually very popular in England. Hmm. In, and here in Canada, it's brewed Molson Coors. Molson mm. Coors. But it, it's it's not a real Australian beer. And, and, and actually, in 2015, uh, there was a New Yorker who tried to sue the company on the grounds of deceptive marketing, saying uh, they were trying to trick consumers into thinking that it's an Australian beer so that they could get away with charging a premium price on it. Oh.
0: On the basis oh, of... Geez this episode or no, general? no, no. On the basis okay. of, <laughs> on the basis <laughs>
1: of the whole series of ads, uh, Foster's Australian for beer.
0: Gotcha. Well,
1: it's actually brewed locally. It's brewed in the United States. It's not imported <laughs> yet. You're charging an import price on it. So oh, it's like, Oh, it's not actually an Australian beer. So
0: mm, they're charging what the market will bear.
1: But as you recall in the episode, it's like in pretty much every scene in Australia, there's somebody with a Foster's beer in their hand <laughs> yeah. in yeah. parliament. Aren't they throwing the fosters cans at
2: like the helicopters that's leaving as well? Well,
1: that too. But like initially when Bart gives his apology in Parliament, uh, there's in the uh, observation gallery there, there's there's spectators holding beer. So what else did we have? Uh, We had uh, Koala Blue, which is a chain of stores focusing on Australian imports uh, founded by Olivia Newton-John and Pat Carroll. And we also had Australian rules footballer Mark Jacko Jackson, who did a series of ads for Energizer in the 80s.
2: Yeah, because it's holding up the Energizer. Yeah, There was a Subway.
1: Subway with their Vegemite sandwich. That was a Vegemite
2: sandwich. sandwich. That's right.
1: (laughs) So Subway never actually had a Vegemite sandwich. Missed opportunity. It's funny to think that they did. I know this episode was in 1995, but the sandwich only cost $1.99, which was a pretty good deal even back then, even if it was Vegemite. Yeah. Have you ever tried Vegemite?
0: I have not nope
1: it's horrible definitely not a fan uh my apologies to anyone from australia who actually likes it um
0: what does it taste like
1: yeast (laughs) (laughs) well i i mean it's a spread made from brewer's yeast so leftover from brewing beer and with vegetable spice additives
2: and hence the veggie part of it
1: supposed to be an acquired taste which i guess means you have to eat enough of it until you become desensitized to it yeah. oh. so it's kind of salty apparently it's very rich in vitamin b so made popular by the song land down under by men at work
2: right oh he, he actually says vegemite sandwich in the song yeah oh I, that's thought like a, I thought he said a bite of my sandwich
1: no he says vegemite sandwich oh. <laughs> i misheard that then <laughs> no he does not say give me a bite of his sandwich <laughs> that's a little personal I don't know.
0: <laughs> misheard, misheard lyrics are a real, you know, social problem in this era of ours.
1: Yeah, I think the most famous one <laughs> is Jimi Hendrix. Excuse me while I kiss this guy.
0: Oh damn! What? Oh really? That just that changes everything.
1: Yeah, you never heard? Yeah, that, that changes me. Instead of, the kiss, song. Instead of <laughs> kiss the sky, yeah, kiss this guy.
0: I have one from no rain by blind melon and honestly i was a little bit disappointed when i learned that i had the lyrics wrong and i think that my version is better um all i can do is um
1: uh, read a book to stay awake
0: yes thank you all i can do is read a book to stay awake um and it rips my life away that's the actual lyric i always thought it was all i can do is read a book to stay awake and enrich my
1: life away oh <laughs> that that actually is better yeah, yeah that is i think actually so better. Actually, I take it back what I said. Uh, the most famous example has to be Blinded by the Light. Oh, In yeah. The, misheard the,
0: the Manfred Mann version. Yes. Revved up like a deuce. Yeah.
1: yeah. And there's this Canadian comedy group that does a hilarious sketch about like the misheard lyrics on that one. <laughs> uh, my favorite version of it is Ripped up like a loofah by the foreman of the night. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Possibly controversial opinion. I think Springsteen's version is better.
2: Just throwing it
0: out there. And that one doesn't have any mystery lyrics problems.
2: That's true, because that was the original, was it?
0: And also because he uses the lyric, uh, cut loose like a deuce. And it was the original. I believe that Springsteen's only appearance at the top of the top 100 was uh, a songwriting credit for Manfred Mann's version. There's your music factoid for the day.
1: But okay, I'll, I'll say that's probably the most famous example of misheard lyrics. <laughs> I don't
2: know. There's, uh, what was it? Hold me closer, Tony Danza.
1: Popularized by friends. Oh,
2: yeah,
0: yeah. But I- <laughs> by, by, by Phoebe. True. true. <laughs> That's a Phoebeism for sure.
1: Although she throws in young. She says young Tony Danza. And it's like, I don't think oh. it actually needs it to mm-hmm. keep the rhythm there. Yeah, you're I adding did, a syllable there. Yeah. And then we had that slide of uh, Castro in the gun sights there. Oh, plan yeah. B. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> And then, of course, when we're going to Australia, one of my favorite sight gags, when they just go through the earth from the North America to Australia. <laughs> yeah. So if you remember, as we descend, we've got coffins.
0: Including including one where this, the skeleton had climbed out of it. It's climbing yeah, out of it, yeah. Coming downward.
1: He, he's digging the wrong direction.
0: <laughs> Dig up, stupid.
1: <laughs> and then we get dinosaur fossils, but they're also in coffins. <laughs>
0: Even time need a sacred burial.
1: And then we have the Hindu god Vishnu in the center of the earth, pushing all those buttons.
0: (laughs) (laughs) taking a little break. Working up a sweat.
1: Yeah. (sighs) Finally, we have Skylab. The remains of Skylab, uh, the first and only U.S. space station, which did crash in Australia.
0: When did that exist?
1: So it was launched May 14th, 1973, and then it crashed July 11th, 1979. They had plans to adjust the orbit originally with the boosters from the space shuttle, but the shuttle program was delayed, and while NASA estimated that the station would remain in orbit until at least the early to mid-80s, uh, their calculations were wrong. So higher than normal solar activity increased the temperature of the Earth's atmosphere, increasing the drag force on the station, and the orbit decayed. And it was a big international event when it re-entered the atmosphere. Uh, there were lotteries, people betting where it would land, people were painting targets for space debris. And in Montgomery, Alabama, there were stores that actually sold Skylab Repellent.
2: Oh my god. <laughs> with
1: a with a money back guarantee. So I so I guess that meant that if a piece of Skylab debris fell out of the sky and hit you, well at least you get a refund. So
2: if it didn't if it didn't land near you, but you didn't get hit by it, then it worked.
0: It's like yeah. a rock that what? keeps tigers away.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I want to buy your rock.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's specious reasoning. Thank you, honey.
1: <laughs> but, but, but it did land in Western Australia, about 300 miles east of Perth. Uh, the Shire of Esperance actually fined NASA $400 for littering, which they never paid.
0: It's the principle of the thing.
1: That's the principle of the thing. And then they arrive at the airport, and Lisa tells Homer that not only is it Wednesday morning, they left Monday afternoon, but it's summer instead of winter, and he has brought his sled with him. (laughs) I found that very cute. That's one of my favorite moments. When they come into Australia, there's a sign that says no foreign flora or fauna, and for some reason, Bart brings a bullfrog with him.
0: Random stowaway for for an international trip.
1: Yeah, because I know when I go on a 20-hour flight across the Pacific, I want to bring a frog with me.
2: (laughs) Keep you company,
0: I guess. That's a long flight. You need some entertainment for the plane. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Are frogs entertaining? I don't know.
1: Frogs hey. on a plane? Yeah, no, it was... <laughs> frogs on a plane. As long as you get Samuel Jackson in that, I would watch that movie. <laughs> uh, frog escapes and overtakes Australia. Yeah, I, I don't know how that happened if he only brought one frog with him. Yeah.
0: Was it a pregnant frog? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I know yeah. nothing about science. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I, I, I should figure you know at least <laughs> yeah, how that worked, yeah. How,
0: how babies are made? Yeah, I, f- I figured that one out by now. <laughs> Storks stork bring them. Brings,
2: yeah, as you say, the stork brings it.
1: Anyway, that was a reference to the cane toad, which was brought into Australia from Hawaii in 1935 to deal with the cane beetle, which threatened the sugar cane crops in place of using pesticides. So they brought in 102 toads, uh, bred 62,000 toadlets in captivity before they were released into the wild. And just to show you how exponential growth works, uh, and the danger of invasive species, as they have no natural predators there, uh, there are now over 200 million of them in Australia. Wow. But there have been devastating ecological effects uh, as a result of the cane toads, not quite to the extent as was shown in The Simpsons with the bullfrogs, mind you. Uh, But they have affected populations of native species, as the cane toad is poisonous. And ironically, there wasn't much impact on the cane beetle population, which, which is what they were brought in to deal with.
0: Yeah. <laughs> cane toads. I'd have called them Chazwazers.
1: <laughs> and then we get at the end. Uh, actually, I love that scene at the end where they escape on the helicopter and it's kind of like the fall of on there. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And,
1: and and then you see there's a a, uh, a koala bear hanging on. <laughs> hanging on to the helicopter. And that bit with like you know focuses on the eye there, and you got the didgeridoo Uh, music. (laughs)
0: ( interconnections) Uh,
1: Of course, the the koala bear would not survive in the United States, given that its primary food source is eucalyptus leaves. But Mm. so they did highlight how Australia was founded as a a British penal colony, and and they highlighted it with a big
0: a big statue of one of snakes ancestors
1: so that was their first prime minister so yes they're they're the, the first prime minister of australia has a passing resemblance to snake jailbird
0: snake jailbird like with a name like that how do you end up anything other than a career criminal
1: yeah yeah i feel like your uh, your path has been laid out for you <laughs> I'd say so. So I guess before we wrap up, we should talk about the booting, one of Australia's proudest traditions, uh, though not really.
0: Do they, I'm, I'm guessing that they had a, a number of issues with the boot. So
1: what's ironic about this? When Homer stops the booting and then lectures the Australians about how America has abandoned corporal punishment uh, and now the streets have never been safer, old people struck confidently through the darkest alleys.
2: And
0: nerds. Are admired. I can't. Nerds
1: are <laughs> admired for their computer programming ability. That's
0: what it is. That's what it is.
1: So the thing about this is Australia actually outlawed corporal punishment in schools in the early 80s. To this day in 2022, there are still 13 states in the U.S. that permit it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Wow. I don't know what the number was at the time this episode aired, but, you know, here they are trying to, you know, give a lecture about uh, corporal punishment. It's really America that has the corporal punishment problem, not Australia.
0: So disparaging the boot is not a bootable offense?
1: I do love that line from uh, <laughs> Phil Hartman. <laughs> but actually, the, the, the whole booting thing was a reference to the case of uh, Michael Fay who was an American teen living in Singapore in 1994, where he was arrested for vandalism, uh, graffiti, and he was sentenced to a caning.
0: Right. Hmm. I remember, yeah, I remember that story. Was he ever? Was he actually caned, or uh, did he get out of it somehow?
1: He, he was, although his sentence was reduced from six cane strokes to four. I guess kind of like how Bart's booting was reduced from a, a, an oversized boot to just a, a regular boot, which was a wingtip, I believe. <laughs> anyway, I don't really recall hearing about it in Canada back then. I I know it was big news in the U.S. at the time.
0: Yeah, it merited a mention in a new Weird Al song.
1: Which song is that?
0: Line News. I think it was about him.
1: So, Taylor. Kevin, you guys feel yes. up for a bit of trivia? Heck yeah. Always. Okay, so we'll do the rules that you guys can throw up your hand, and I'll just point to whoever, and you can go for it. For those listening at home, feel free to play along. You can just pause after each question, or you can just shout it out. It's like if you're watching Jeopardy at home, and you're just yelling at the screen.
0: Do what you feel like.
1: So first question, uh, as you recall, when Homer is looking at the phone bill, and there's all these various countries on there, what are the two places that he actually says out loud? Kevin?
2: Uh, Burkina Faso and disputed zone.
1: That is correct. You know what's interesting about that? Burkina Faso is actually in the Northern Hemisphere.
2: Is it really? <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's, that's true. And not, that's only,
0: not only is he charging long distance calls, he's not even getting the geography right. <laughs> yeah. That's the real crime.
1: So the other countries that were shown on the phone bill, but that he didn't say out loud, Santiago, Chile, Nuagadugu, I hope that pronounced that right. Antarctica Naval Research Station and Unnamed Settlement. Oh,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> Number two, the child in Australia, Tobias, that Bart calls. Where was he in Australia? What was the name of the town?
2: Mm. No, I don't. I just saw the episode.
1: You just yeah, saw too. it? What's just your excuse? It.
2: <laughs> <laughs> We're both great, aren't we? All
1: right. So I don't see any volunteers. So I'm just no going to assume me. that. No, uh, yeah. Okay. You both buzz out. All right. It's Squatter's Crog.
2: Squatter's Crock. Squatter's Crock. Croc.
1: <laughs> All right, related question. What was the name of Tobias's father?
2: I remember the prime minister's name. <laughs> Hey, Andy. And the uh, member of parliament.
1: The prime minister at the time was Paul Keating.
2: Oh, oh. Ah. I thought maybe they would have checked that.
1: <laughs> and he was drawn to look like Malcolm Fraser. Oh. Taylor, you knew all the names of uh, Canadian prime ministers and you know all the US presidents. How's your knowledge of Australian prime ministers? Uh,
0: almost nothing. <laughs> Maybe that should be the next project to, to memorize. Okay. <laughs> was the father named Bruno? He was. Bruno. Oh,
2: nice. Nice.
1: Bruno Dundridge.
2: Oh, they actually had the last name.
1: Okay. We don't talk about Bruno.
2: We don't talk about Bruno.
1: Yeah, for anyone who didn't get that, it's a reference to the song from uh, Disney's Encanto which my kids insist on playing over and over again.
0: Damn wiener kids.
1: Number four, when Bart was on the phone with Tobias in Australia, what distracted him that he put the phone down?
0: Um, Mil- Milhouse came over and he told Bart that um, uh, the bakery was on fire and all of downtown smelled like cookies. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he invited him a- to go smell.
1: That is exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> so number five, when Homer was looking at the globe and found Australia, what was the other country he found taylor
0: <laughs> uruguay yeah you are gay
1: <laughs> now number six when lisa is shopping for a souvenir she wants to buy a didgeridoo marge suggests an alternative souvenir what was it taylor again Evan, you're slow tonight you're slow tonight Evan. <laughs>
0: a hat that says pobody's Nerfict" in australia
1: it's and Mark just it's like clever. her.
0: Exactly. Okay, I actually used to have a keychain that was a gift from my mom that says Pobody's Nerfix.
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> I love it. That's so cute. that's it's, uh, yeah. adorable. That's a good gift. <laughs> so when Australia becomes overrun by bullfrogs, what was the alternative name that the teenager in the shop suggested for them? Taylor again.
0: <laughs> Bazwazers.
1: You remember, like the, the the shopkeeper goes, you know, he's he's got all these frogs in his arms, and like they're in the lift, they're in the lorry, they're in the bone wizard, they're all over the Malanga Gilda <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like okay, lift and lorry, those are words. <laughs> yeah, I looked it up; they mean nothing.
2: I was, Malanga, wondering, I was wondering. Malanga
1: Gilda Chuck means nothing.
0: Good to know. Good to know. <laughs>
1: But he says the whole thing about they're like kangaroos, but they're reptiles. (laughs) reptiles. There are frogs in Australia. There's over 240 species of frogs.
0: I can't imagine that they're so foreign that they don't know what they are, what to call them.
1: Number eight. How are real kangaroos different from in cartoons? Kate, you're going to get this one, Kevin. There's
2: a lot more mucus in their
1: pouches. All right. Number nine. How did Bart impress Lisa? Oh, Taylor.
0: He wrote legibly on his own butt.
1: (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Do you remember what he wrote?
0: Don't tread on me. Very good. Just something we've been seeing a lot of in downtown Ottawa these days. It's an American thing. I know. But it's uh it's north of the border now.
1: I've also been hearing a lot about their First Amendment rights.
0: Yes, yes. Somebody uh, helpfully. Yeah, po- do they know
1: what country they're
0: in? <laughs> somebody, somebody helpfully pointed out on Twitter that the First Amendment to the Canadian Constitution would be the Manitoba Act. So really, it's our right to recognize Manitoba as a province would be our First Amendment right.
1: Oh, okay. I'll be cold in the ground by the time I recognize Manitoba. <laughs> <laughs> I was
0: I was gonna say anybody can miss Manitoba all tucked away down there. <laughs>
1: okay number 10 what was the name of the ship that the pilot of the helicopter said they were going to land on oh go for it kevin the
2: u.s walter mondale
1: yes it's a laundry (laughs) ship
2: it's a laundry ship that's right yes
0: poor mondale he's hilarious no wonder he won minnesota mondale mondale was um he was the one that ran against reagan right and he lost every state except for minnesota and dc yeah
1: okay so i'm gonna throw a bonus question in here bring it on lisa told bart that she wouldn't be there for his apology. Where was she going instead?
0: You know what, I, I rem- okay, I, I just watched this episode today. I can't remember the answer, but I will tell yeah. you what I retained from that scene, which was that in Australia, none of them were wearing their typical outfits. And I, I, I was so distracted by the fact that Lisa and Marge had these whole sightseeing outfits that they were wearing. And then I noticed that Homer was also wearing something different and Bart's shirt looked a lot darker than it did in the States. <laughs> so I don't have an answer to your question, but that's what I took away from that scene.
1: I I. wouldn't I wouldn't (laughs) expect you to have an answer this is a hard one it was the Wollumbaloo dirt monument it was just too exciting to pass up
0: could never could never miss out on that
2: yeah (laughs) how did we not get that I don't know I don't
1: know well that does it for trivia and that's it for the show today as well I guess Uh, so big thanks to Taylor and Kevin for partaking of our Australian coffee beer cocktail and for talking about the classic episode Bart versus Australia hope you all had fun Uh, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts we'll be back with more Simpsons talk and Simpsons inspired drinks You can find more recipes at Bo's Cavern on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm Matt LaFrance. Take care, and until next time, throw another shrimp on the bobby. Okay, that's it. I promise. You won't have to listen to my terrible Aussie impression anymore. Bye for now.